If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect, and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect, and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Today's guest is Taryn Warren, and Taryn's already been on Horse Chats, and she's come back to talk to us about 10 tips to develop your working equitation horse. Taryn, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good to have you on again, Taryn. Now, why did you choose that subject? You've obviously felt there was a need to use that subject on the show. Well, as I travel around as a judge and a clinician, I start to see some common problems happening with all horses and riders. Mm-hmm. I also think that a really well-developed working equitation horse can be successful in any sport because in this sport, if their mechanics are not correct, they're going to struggle through um, the obstacles, through the speed phase, through working a cow. So if we can get the really well-developed working equitation horse, there's really not any direction they can't go. Good, good. All right, so the first one we're going to talk about is bend. How can we get the horses bend and tell us a little bit about more of you know, how it can be developed? So one of the things that I think is that there's a misunderstanding on what bend really is. Mm-hmm. And what we see when some riders come in the ring is that they're actually trying to create bend with the inside rein and they're over flexing the neck. So they mm-hmm. see that neck, you know, in front of them looking around, but they've neglected the rest of the horse's body. So I think clearing up some miscommunication or misunderstanding about what bend is, is huge. And so when you have a horse that is truly going to be bent, the first thing they have to do is be able to step up underneath the horse with that outside hind leg. And this is going to release some of, it's going to tilt the pelvis, release some of the tension off that back so that that back can start to come up. And then when that back comes up, we get some pressure off of that horse's thoracic sling so that we can start to manipulate that rib cage. And it's the manipulation of that rib cage that will actually create some bend in the horse. We need to think about that rib cage similar to a porch swing. It can swing to the outside of the circle or it can swing to the inside of the circle. And in order to get the proper bend, we have to be able to unlock that rib cage and get it to swing to our outside leg. Mm-hmm. Um, that will create the proper flexion in the horse's neck. They'll okay. start to look around. But it's the placement of that rib cage that will actually create the flexion in the neck. We shouldn't be creating the flexion in the neck with the rein. Yep, yep. Okay, good, good. Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of transitions. What can you talk to us about developing transitions for the working equitation horse? This is probably one of the areas where the horses are most unprepared because riders don't understand how many transitions can actually happen in a course. And Mm -hmm. Depending on the level, you can have up to 40 transitions in a six to eight minute ride. So one of the things that, yeah, it's a lot. And we don't practice that at home. I don't know very many times where I go out and really practice riding that many transitions in that short of a period of time. And those Mm -hmm. are hard on the horse. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we don't want to see is that we don't want to see the downhill transition. We don't want to have that horse on the forehand when it's getting ready to go into an obstacle. The horse actually needs to be balanced over that hind leg. 
One of the things that I like to do is put some ground poles on the ground about four feet apart and ride my horse into those and halt. Um, see how straight my horse is in that halt. Most of the time you're going to find that the horses are going to swing their haunches to the out or to the left or the right just mm-hmm. a little bit. So yep. your job is then to straighten it up. Um, and the same thing holds true in that exact same position. I'm going to ask my horse for an upward transition, either to a walk, trot, canter. And what you're going to find is that your horse will actually want to fall to the left or to the right in that transition. So your job is to figure out how to correct that and support that. As the horse gets more tired, those errors become more severe. So as we see the horses go through the courses, the transitions start getting worse and worse because the horse is not prepared. Um, One thing that I think is important for riders to remember is that the transition is really the foundation of the gait. So if you have an unbalanced transition, then your gait is going to suffer from that unbalanced transition. Um, the other most important thing that I think riders need to know about transitions is that if you expect a good canter transition, then you ha- you need to really be focusing on those walk and trot transitions. That canter is a lot, that canter transition is mostly muscle memory. So if we don't train a good upward transition at our lower gates, we can't expect a good transition to the canter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to work on that straightness and, and keep that hind leg under the horse and not, not. Um, let them come dive into the hand in the downward transition, but to come over the haunches. Yep, yep. All right. You talked about the inside rein in the bend and using too much, but what should the inside rein be doing? So I like to tell my riders that the inside rein is a finessing aid. It shouldn't be our primary aid. When we use that inside rein, it creates a lot of blockages in the horse. So when we flex that horse with the inside rein, we actually end up closing up that throat latch and we end up shortening the neck. And what we want to do instead is have that horse connected to the outside rein. And that inside rein can be used as a finessing or a softening aid. And one thing that I want my riders to remember is that pulling that rein back to them is always going to create the blockage. If you can lift and open that rein, it's going to help that horse reach around and touch your hand. So one of the exercises that I have my riders do a lot is I have them ride on a circle. And we start probably on a 15-meter circle. And after they've established that really good circle, I have them completely drop the inside rein. And their job is to maintain that circle by using their seat and leg and the connection to the outside rein so that when they are riding with two reins in their hand, that they have a tendency to be less dependent on that inside rein. Okay. Okay. You know, it'll create some bracing in the horse's jaw when you're using too much of it. It'll create head tilting, over flexing. And so the horse is trying to escape that blockage and then they start to find ways to evade. Yep. 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 All right. What about throughness? It's very much a, um, you know, my horse is through, or sometimes people don't really get the full, what is throughness? Tell us about what is throughness, but then how to develop this within our training. So you're absolutely correct. And I think it's oftentimes misunderstood. And so what I like to picture in my head is that if I had an extension cord hooked to the horse's tail and I have an extension cord hooked to the horse's nose, that extension cord has to plug in under my seat. And Mm -hmm. if that extension cord doesn't plug in under my seat, then the current isn't getting from one end of my horse to the other. So both ends of my horse are doing different things. They're not working in harmony. So 
we have to really think about the hind leg first. If we can't get that hind leg to stay consistently under the horse, then we're going to struggle to get the back lifting and unlocking like it's supposed to. And if there's a blockage in the back, then we're not going to get the connection to the hand. So I have my riders focus on the hind leg. Um, I have them ride around an object and I have them think about that hind leg staying closer to the object over swinging away from it. Um, when that hind leg comes under, it's going to allow that back to come up and loosen up a little bit. When that back comes up, the horse can then raise the wither, which is going to allow it to stem, extend the front leg in front of them properly. Um, when they're able to do that, then you'll get that lightness in your hand that everybody wants to feel so that mm -hmm. the horse is coming with the energy from the hind leg through the back and they're coming in and connecting to your hands. So one uh, an exercise I like to do is that I have my students just pinch the rein with their thumb and forefinger. I don't let them hold any more contact with the rein than just what they can hold with that thumb and forefinger. Um, the goal is that when they feel that horse getting heavy, that they're not locking down on the horse's mouth, that they're trying to get, they're focusing on the hind leg and the back and rib cage to get that horse um, unblocked and get the, that energy coming through again. When the horse starts to get heavy in the hand, and the rider locks down, it creates more blockages and it hinders that throughness. Um, so in the working equitation, when we're working in the really small areas, mm. a horse that's not through is really going to struggle to keep maintain the three to four meter circles and the the turns that are nearly canter pirouettes and, okay. um, and all the transitions. Okay. Okay. I like the way you explained that with the extension cord. I think that was good. And another term that's a bit misunderstood is engagement. So can you tell us a little bit about engagement? So I think, first of all, we've got to understand what engagement um, is not. And it's not that horse swinging the hind legs through the turn. So mm -hmm. when we have the riders come in and they're competing in this discipline, there are lots of turns around barrels, poles, drums, and you'll see that horse's nose and shoulder get close to the object and you'll have that hind leg swinging away. And that is actually disengagement. So what we need is we've got to get first control of that hind leg. And in order for the horse to engage, that hind leg has to be stepping up underneath of them nearly into the track that the front foot is leaving from. Um, and a horse that is not over that hind leg is constantly going to struggle with the rhythm and the regularity. They're going to struggle to sit in the turns. They're going to struggle to drive out of the turns to prepare for the changes of lead. Um, what I want to see in my riders, and this is just a really easy exercise to, to help start to learn what engagement is and what it's going to feel like, is mm -hmm. I have my riders ride up to a pole uh, an upright pole and I have them stop when their shoulder is next to that upright pole and before they let their horse turn I have the riders take one step towards the pole with the horse's hind legs only so almost like you're going to prepare for a walk pirouette so at that halt they've got to be able to push that horse's hind leg towards the object and then they can ride the horses uh, the horse around the turn and their goal is always to keep the horse's hind leg closer to the, the pole than the front end and the shoulder. The other thing that they struggle with is that when they do this, they have to be able to give with the rein a little bit. They can't be trying to contain the horse. They have to be giving with that hand a little bit so the horse can take that engagement, come through the back and get light in the forehand. So what I teach them to do 
his reach towards the inside ear of, of the horse a little bit. Mm-hmm. And a horse that is truly engaged and using its hind end and picking up its back is not going to speed up in the turn. They're using too many muscle groups, so they're actually going to slow and sit down. And um, so I tell my riders, if it feels like you're having to continually ask that horse to keep moving forward, you're probably on the right track with engagement. A horse that is balanced on the forehand is always going to be looking to rush through things. Okay, okay. I think that's a good test, isn't it? You know, the fact that you asking the horse to do it rather than stopping the horse from running away from doing it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you're having to contain the horse, there's a balance issue and engagement somewhere. Mm-hmm. A, a horse that is engaged and through is not going to have to be contained. Yep. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine... Maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, straightness. You talked a little bit before about straightness, but how important is straightness and uh, how can we develop straightness? So for me, the straightness is essential. If you can't get a horse first straight from the hind legs, then you're going to struggle with anything that you ask that horse to do. Um, When we're actually watching the dressage phase and that horse is coming up centerline and you can see the horse is crooked, many of the riders try and straighten that horse by moving their hands back and forth, which gives the impression that the horse is like a gummy worm coming up center line. Um, The horses, when that rein is moving back and forth, they don't have anything to connect to because the connection keeps changing in the hand. The hands are going right, left. Mm -hmm. So if we can't get the horse straight from the hind leg um, forward, then you're going to struggle with your transitions. You're going to struggle with your regularity in your gait, the quality of your gait. So I have my riders think of the reins as the lines on the highway. And when you're driving your vehicle down the highway, your job is to keep your vehicle between those those lines, not move the lines to adjust for your vehicle's crookedness. Okay. So I have them keep that hand. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Yep. I want that rein to stay steady, and I want them to adjust the body of the horse starting with the hind leg mm-hmm. to get the straightness. So yes. they take that really soft connection And their goal with that connection is to keep the neck straight in front of them. The Mm -hmm. horse is going to have a tendency to want to flex one way or the other. Their job is just to keep that that hand steady and that neck straight. Then they've got to straighten the hind leg. So I have them imagine that there is a line drawn down the center of the arena. And their job is to keep the left front leg and the left hind on one side of the the line and the right hind and the right front on the other side of the line. And they have to do all of that by adjusting the hind leg and with their seat and their leg, not by adjusting the hand. All right. All right. What about the one-handed riding? Is that all the time in working equitation or does it come in at a certain level? And how can we develop the horse's ability to really listen and the rider, I suppose, to do the one-handed riding? 
Absolutely. This is one of the things that intimidates a lot of riders, especially at the lower level. Mm -hmm. In working equitation, you're not required to ride through everything one-handed until you get to level six, which is the advanced level. Mm -hmm. But even at the lower levels, there's going to be obstacles that you have to do one-handed, like your gait, um, carrying your garocha pole, picking up your pitcher. Those types of obstacles, even at the lower levels, are still going to have to be done one-handed. And that's the thing that intimidates a lot of riders. But what I tell the riders is that the truth is, is if you have been riding your horse correctly, focusing on the engagement and the throughness and the bend and the straightness coming from your seat and leg, and you haven't been overusing or overflexing with that inside rein, one hand is not as hard as you think it is. You have five main aids. You have your seat, your inside leg, your outside leg, your inside rein, your outside rein. If I take away one of those aids, absolutely nothing should fall apart if you've been doing it correctly and that Mm -hmm. horse is connected where it's supposed to. A couple tips for the one-handed riding is that I always want the rider reaching towards the inside ear. I don't want them to take that rein hand and pull the arm across the body, crossing the crest of that neck. I tell the riders it looks like they're hugging themselves. And while I want everybody to be positive, I don't want them hugging themselves. (laughs) Um, I also want them to think about lifting and reaching forward for the correction, chasing that horse's ears rather than pulling back towards their pelvis. Um, I also want the rider to take that free hand that's not holding the rein and follow your rein hand with that hand because when we go to one-handed, we have a tendency to lock the shoulder back on that hand that's not doing anything. And we really that's going to mess with the communication in our seat and our legs. So I want that rider to think about chasing the rein hand with their free hand. That'll help keep the shoulders level, and it'll keep that shoulder from getting locked back. Okay. Um, that if that horse has been connected to the in, outside rein and the inside rein has just been used as a finessing aid, then this should not be um, a hard transition. It's just a lot of it is mental for the riders. All right, all right. Now, in your um, notes here, you know, tension's the enemy, which is probably right throughout all of horse training. You know, if the horse is tense, there's a reason oh, absolutely. why they're not thinking straight and they, they're sort of lacking the confidence. And um, but. Tell us a bit more about tension is the enemy and particularly about working equitation. So one of the things about the working equitation is that we have, the horses have to go through a lot of obstacles and some of them can be a little intimidating. You know, maybe the bridge isn't the bridge that they have at home or the gate is constructed differently. And so if we have practiced schooling at home and we've pushed that horse through something that they're fearful of or through something that they're wanting to get tense about, when we get to a new situation where everything is new and all the influence around them is new, that tension starts to become really undesirable behaviors in new areas. And you'll have a horse that starts refusing to do obstacles. You'll have a horse that starts knocking things down. Um, That horse just begins to overreact to everything. So when you're schooling at home, it's really important that if your horse gets tense, that you just take a minute to pause. Allow that horse to get out of their reacting brain and engage that thinking brain for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was growing up, one of the things is you can't quit till you, you've won. You can't quit till you've won. But horses don't think like that. When they start getting tense, it's our job to investigate why. Um, when did it start? Was it caused from pain, confusion? Are they blocked somewhere? Um, is something ill-fitting? Are they fit enough for what's being asked? Um, Do we need to break the process up into smaller pieces so that they can digest smaller parts of it? So when I get a horse that's just getting really uptight, 
I don't think so much about I've got to complete the exercise at all costs. I think I've got to figure out how I get this horse to where they can process what I'm telling them. And when they're tense, they can't do that. So what I want to teach that horse is, look, when something bothers you, you need to relax and listen to me and, and wait for what I tell you to do rather than the horse gets tense and I'm going to push you through and I'm going to create some fear and uncertainty in the rider. I want that horse to just sit back and relax and take a breath. Sometimes that means you have to stop for five minutes. Sometimes it means five seconds. But if you don't practice that pause, you're going to regret, regret it later. Okay. Okay. And good way of just dealing with that bit of tension that horses invariably will get throughout their training. Now, gadgets. You know, I think every discipline is going to have their gadget to shortcut the training methods if there's going to be to make it a bit easier for the rider to get through. But just talk to us about gadgets. Yeah. <laughs> so I have a thing that about gadgets is that they're mm. going to give you some short-term results that mm. will inevitably result in some long-term problems. Yes. Okay. That's well explained. Yeah. Very well explained. Yes. <laughs> they're going to give you some quick results but they're not going to be sustainable or maintainable results. They're a substitute for poor mechanics, um, and they're a shortcut to try and get to an end goal. But that end, once you get to that end goal, you're going to be stuck. They're, they're really a crutch. Um, there's a reason why the gadgets aren't allowed in the show ring, and it's because we know that in order to develop a horse correctly, those are not going to um, help you. Doing it correctly will likely take you some more time, but you're going to end up with the, the lasting results instead of the short-term fix. And we tend to get impatient because we live in a world of instant gratification. So when we go to the barn and we ride our horse, you know, we've only got an hour today and an hour tomorrow, and we need this horse ready for this competition this weekend. So it seems easy to pull out that gadget to get that instant gratification and see the immediate results. But you're going to end up with problems, and you may not see those problems for months or years, but they're going to rear their ugly head and bite you at some point and either create problems with soundness or behavior. So I really encourage the riders, rather than pulling out that gadget, to adjust your goal and your timeline. It's going to take longer. It's going to take the time it takes. But in the end, you're going to have a much more confident, willing, happy partner than the one that you tried to shortcut into your goal. Yeah, I had to write that one down about the short-term results giving you long-term problems. Yeah. I loved gadgets. Yeah. I used them, you know, I used them for a lot of years till I got smarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's as you say, you know, the uh, correct training, keep going back to your correct training and um, you'll find that you don't need them. And while they can be, you know, a bit of a shortcut, that's all they are. They're just a shortcut that's producing short-term results. You've still got to go back and say, why do I need this gadget? Why? What's missing Absolutely. in the training for either the horse or the rider that means that we need to use this gadget? Absolutely. And it could be. It could be lack of education on the rider's part. It could mm -hmm. be lack of development on the horse's part. And it's our job. We have to think of ourselves more as physical therapists than riders or trainers. When we go out to ride that horse, our job is really to help develop that horse, um, the horse's muscle structure in a way that can carry the rider. Yep. Yep. All right. Now, what about soundness? What can we do to keep our working equitation horse sound? So, you know, we're all aiming for that soundness and that horse that can be ridden well into their, their golden years. Um, and the thing we have to go back to in this discipline is that it started from a field working discipline. So these were horses that needed to go out and do a job all day long. 
and they needed to come back and they needed to be found at the end of the day and ready to go out and do that same job again tomorrow. So just like I was talking about a minute ago, it's our job to become a physical therapist for that horse and make sure that we're properly developing their muscles in a way they can correctly carry the rider and that they're going to be found after a day of work or after a day of competition. Uh, A horse that has not learned good mechanics and developed correctly will break down a lot earlier in life and will suffer a lot after a show or a day of work. I try and think of the difference um, in good mechanics versus bad mechanics like us, like humans lifting. So we're taught that when we pick up something heavy, we're to squat and pick up the object. We're not to bend over at the waist and pick it up. When we bend over at the waist, we're using too few muscle groups and putting strain on joints that are not equipped to handle the stress. So for our horses, when they're using good mechanics, it's similar to us squatting and using our major muscle groups to pick up an object, and we need to think about the horses doing that. Their major muscle groups are in that hind end, and we need that horse to sit over that hind end and then be able to lift us and come through. Um, Bending at the waist in humans is the equivalent to the horse that has always been allowed to be hollow and never taught to carry the rider, so they put a lot of stress on the joints that are not equipped to handle that stress, like the SI joint, and the, they are on the front end, so they're breaking down those coffin joints and causing a lot of tendon damage because they're not equipped to handle that strain. So it requires that we as riders help the horse to develop the muscle memory and strength and endurance that allows the horse to properly carry the rider. Um, we are really stewards of the horse. It's our job to understand how that body works and help them learn to carry us. They weren't designed to carry us, but we asked them to, and we asked them to perform for us. So they were born knowing how to use their body, but they were not born knowing how to carry the rider and balance that extra weight. And if your horse is carrying you correctly, they are performing the horse version of a plank, but they're performing that plank with the weight of the rider and the saddle on their back. Um, so I think of it as no different than a human that's training for a CrossFit competition in the sport of working equitation. That, that's going to take time to develop that muscle memory, but it's going to take years for them to be strong enough to do it well with the endurance that isn't breaking down and damaging their body. One of the things that we fail to do is prepare our horses well enough. We forget to think of them as athletes. And that if we are going to take them to these competitions where they have to perform the dressage and they have to perform the obstacles with finesse and they have to do speed and they have to work a cow, that we've got to take that time to work on all of these facets that we've talked about. None of it will be easy, but it's all necessary in order for that horse not to have irreversible damage that's going to haunt us down the road. Mm -hmm. We want that competition. We want to have fun, but it's our responsibility to make sure that horse is prepared for it. Yep, yep, yep. Not just equitation horse. I think, you know, there's a lot of things that go across any type of competition or just any type of riding in horses, you know, keeping them sound and keeping them prepared for the work that's ahead of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Taryn, thank you for coming in and talking to us about, you know, what's a relatively new sport, which you obviously have lots of experience in and you're doing clinics and you're teaching people all over and, and really working on developing the sport of working equitation. So thank you for coming along and um, talking to us. Now, if people would like to contact you a bit more about working equitation, how can they do that? What's the best way? The best way is probably to send me an email and that email is tnt farms and that's plural f-a-r-m-s q-t-r horses at yahoo.com 
Okay, now that email address will be on Horse Chats, which will be horsechats.com slash Taryn Warren. Just go to Horse Chats, search for Taryn, search for Warren, and at the bottom of Taryn's page will be that email address and uh, contact details. So thank you, Taryn. You know, we'd love to have you back on, talk some more about working equitation. I'm sure that you can um, give us a lot more insights into what to do to develop, to compete, to um, yeah, continue to produce and um, the, the really good things about this relatively new sport. And uh, we look forward to talking to you sometime soon. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.